Hi, everybody who's going to be watching this. Um, we are interviewing Dr. Sean Dreyer here on behalf of AOC PMNR um, as part of our AOC PMNR podcast series. Um, and we're really happy and lucky to have Dr. Dreyer here and take his time out. Um, he has actually just done his spinal cord fellowship at Stanford, I believe. And on that note, I'll actually let him introduce himself um, and really quickly. Um, so my name is Sephora and I have Yusha with me and we'll be interviewing him going forward then. Yeah, I'm in my last month of Spinal Cord Fellowship right now, and that ends, and then I give myself two months off before I start my real job, which is at Rancho National Rehab Hospital. It's like an LA County rehab hospital. Um, it's famous because it made the Rancho scale, which everybody uses for brain injury, like for how, you know, classifying that. So that's why everyone at PMNR has heard of that. Um, so I've given myself two months off, just gonna like go to the gym, play Zelda, um, I'm going to go to Portugal with my wife. So that's kind of the plan. That's that exciting. Is, yeah, that is awesome. Congrats on, on the job and wrapping up your fellowship. Uh, we're, we're excited to dive into all of that. Uh, but first, we wanted to start off with what inspired you to uh, specialize in PM&R. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Also, I got to say, we were just talking earlier how the, I didn't know this was kind of a surprise. It was going to be a video. I did a Spartan race yesterday. And I had that headband that was like right here and it wiped <laughs> off my sunscreen. And I was like, oh, it's fine. Sunday, I'm not doing anything. I'll just go to work. Hopefully, I get better. I have this super bad sunburn like right here. And now it's like on video. It's just like, dang it. But anyway, um, so yeah, I just want to acknowledge that. Um, why why PM&R? Um, I knew as a med student, I knew I wanted to do something that was specialized. Some people like to be like very broad in what they do. I want to kind of be more niche. I always felt that way. I'd rather know something smaller and, and know that a little bit more well. Um, I knew I wanted to do something that gave me good time with patients. Like I was thinking between like PM&R, child psych and Durham, all of them, you said, what's, what's common? They all have, they're all like, you know, they kind of their own niche thing. You have time to get to know people. They come back and they see you and you can have like close relationships um that's kind of the common thread obviously that's represented in pm and r and I, I knew i wanted to have something where like i like my job i love seeing patients to me that's most the best thing it's like it's the connection with people it's when they light up when they see you because you've got good rapport with them right you got some inside joke together they feel comfortable opening up about something out of those things i mentioned i felt like pmr actually had the most of that because something happened to them that made them have to come to you to pmr right an injury or musculoskeletal, or they're in pain, or they had like a brain injury, or for me, spinal cord, something happened, right? They like need some hope. They're a little desperate. They have all the mood things that come with it. I like psych a lot. So, and I'm not doing psych now, but a lot of that comes into PMNR. If you're good at getting good trust with people, they'll talk to you about how their, like, their anxieties, or, you know, all the feelings that they have, like after a spinal cord injury, right? And if you're someone they can feel good about talking to that with it's so gratifying because you can help them out in so many ways and um so anyway yes and I also want to have good life balance like I want to have time to be able to like play with my future kids that are not born yet I want to stay fit and that to me it, it I don't want to feel guilty about it it's important to have a specialty where I feel like I can have a good quality of life afterwards and time for my family and myself that honestly sounds sounded really good when, like, how early in your training did you feel like, okay, this, like, PM&R, like, I'm really, this is the one for me? 
It's a good question. How early? It's hard to know about PM&R early on. I will say it's really hard to know about it. A lot of places don't even have PM&R. For when I was at med school at UCLA, they, the musculoskeletal block as a MS2 was taught by PM&R. So that was our exposure. They taught us a lot of the physical exam, but it's even oh. when you see it, like I technically, I had PM&R exposure early, right? Um, and you can't really know what it is. Like the beauty of the field is how broad it is. Yeah. I saw a bunch of pain. Like I saw pain in some EMGs at, at UCLA. And a lot of people like doing it. I, I hate EMGs and like, <laughs> I, I, I hate that. Um, but I thought it was a lot of pain stuff, which I was interested in too. And here I am doing, I was like, okay, outpatient pain. That's what I want to know. I think that's what I want to do. I like that. And now I came mm-hmm. out of residency doing inpatient spinal cord, like a total opposite, right? So the nice right. thing is it's really broad. There's so many things you can do. If you don't know what you want to do exactly, you don't even have to commit yet by going to PM&R. You have so many options for what types of diseases, inpatient, outpatient, a lot of procedures or none, whatever. But the problem is as a student, you can't know all that, right? It took me right. like residency to be able to see all that. So when I hear somebody who's like, you know, I had, I did a PM&R rotation and it was a guy doing pain. He said injections back to back. Or so, somebody said, it's just the guy did EMGs all day. That's what he had us do. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, <laughs> that is not all it is. Do not rule this out. There's like worlds of so many things out there that are so gratifying. EMGs can be gratifying. I, I, I don't want to like talk to people love that. I don't want, I, I don't want to like yeah. talk about anything. It's just my personal opinion. But if you don't like a part of PM&R, the point is there's so much more. And it's hard to see as a student. And I kind of feel for students because you can't get a taste of everything. So yeah. back to what it was, I, I, I saw pain. I thought it was interesting and I'm really glad I liked it enough to get into PM&R and then to see what I really liked in PM&R app when I became a resident. And, yeah. That is awesome. Um, for, for medical students who are considering PM&R then, um, going into rotation, you, know, you, have the, you have the opportunity to kind of get exposed to it. Do you recommend then um, maybe diversifying your PM&R experiences? And if so, how, what's the best balance to diversify seeing kind of the broad range that it might cover? That's a good question. If you have the option to doing something that's more outpatient based, like if it's like um, spine, like interventional spine or like sports medicine, like slash musculoskeletal or, or some pain that kind of, and the other side is kind of like the, the more inpatient or neuro rehab stuff. See a little bit of brain injury or spinal cord injury or stroke. Cause they're totally different worlds. Even though a lot of the, the things that we learn overlap within them, you can, it's useful. Those are the two main divisions I say we would try to see if you have an ability to. And if you're doing away rotations, I always advise try to get, if you haven't, most, most places, more places offer an outpatient, like an MSK kind of thing than inpatient rehab. Inpatient rehab is a little bit more specialized. So if you've only gotten outpatient stuff, because that's what's easy to find, then try to do your away rotation and something inpatient. So A, you can know about it because I want you to know what you're getting yourself into for your own good, right? And two, for when you're interviewing, I like to be very practical. Like this is all a game you got to play too. You got to sound good in interviews. You got to have good personal statements, right? If you can interview or write a statement showing that you see multiple facets of PM&R, it'll look better for you too. Mm-hmm. And, they, and, and they kind of want to see, they kind of want to see that you're interested in PM&R for more than just one thing. If you're someone who's like sports, sports, all I want to do is sports, like you, you know, you have good stats, you make it, you've got a good statement, you'll make it in. But if you can say, I'm actually, I like sports, it's an early interest, but there's a lot of other parts of PM&R that I've gotten a taste of and I want to explore in residency, that'll look better to them, right? They want to see you're going to take advantage of all the things they have to offer. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's such a, great advice. Yeah, thank you. Um, actually, since, since we're talking about all the different things that you can see and do, 
um, since you since you're obviously more focused on um, spinal spinal injuries, um, what do you find the most rewarding about that line of work specifically? Like, why did I, so basically, why did I subspecialize in spinal cord injury and do the fellowship? Well, well, that and then what do you like the most about it now that you're there? Like, what what do you feel the most fulfilled by from what you see um, in your fellowship? Yeah, yeah like I, I got some good answers for you. So, um, first of all, the, the nice thing about PMNR, the fellowships are just one year. Because <laughs> at pediatrics, it's just two years. So, you can do a subspecialty and I get like for my job, I get a 5% salary increase just for being subspecialized. And I was like, it, it just took me one year to get that. Like I'll, I'll take that. Um, I, I, you know, it's nice to be able to, like I said, I like being more focused, really get good at one thing really well. And then you're the expert at it. But when I, um, I'll tell you, tell you a few things. When I was doing consults at Stanford for like a medicine team, had a spinal cord patient. They asked us to come do a consult and like, I never felt this way before because I've been a trainee, right? You're always learning from people. You're, you know, it also feels like no matter how high you get up in the totem pole, there's all, you always feel like a little bit like still kind of like looking up, right? But when I did the spinal cord injury consult and I gave recommendations to talk to the patient, I literally, I went to the medicine resident, uh, the, the room, the attending pharmacist and the resident and the interns were there. And they were, I was just talking to them about things that I know that are kind of obvious to me now, but they were like writing things down. And it was like, <laughs> To me, I was just like, wow, like it's very simple. But I was like, they respect me and my subspecialty opinion enough where they're like learning from me, asking me questions, being like, wow, man, I'm really glad we talked to you about that. So what about this? And that felt amazing to be self-specialized enough, even as a fellow where like your special you know, opinion is sought out. But the beauty of spinal cord to me is like for most of the time, yeah, most most of the time the injury is here or below, right? Oftentimes you get an accident, you might have a head injury or two, so we can manage both brain and spinal cord injuries just coming out of PMNR. But for the most part, they're cognitively intact. I told you, I love getting to know my people. And spinal cord injury, they stay a little longer too. Their rehab takes a little longer. So it's not just come in and come out, right? They're there for a bit. They open up to you, they trust you. Um, and you really get to know them. And they don't, it's not even that they, they come back again because they come to your clinic. You think you're done with you after inpatient rehab? No, they come back. You do their Botox, you adjust their medications for spasticity, for bladder management, all that kind of stuff. And you see like, hey man, like what's up? Like, you know, how was your trip to whatever? You, you see how it went, any problems we have? Like, you know, it's like very gratifying. It, you know, it always surprised me. Sometimes I tell people, I'm like, I do spinal cord injury. And like, what? They're like people who are like people who have paralysis. Like, man, this be so sad. I'm like, I never actually have ever thought of it that way. And I get what people do kind of colloquially, but we have so many things we can do for them. Yeah, a lot of things get affected by spinal cord injury. Your bowel, bladder, pain, spasticity, sexual function, and so many things. We have things we can do for all of them. So to me, it's like very hopeful and gratifying. So that's kind of why I gravitated towards spinal cord injury. I, I am going to tell you my favorite, favorite, favorite part of it. I said sexual dysfunction, right? because that gets affected. I love specialty, uh, the, the sexual dysfunction clinic. The best clinic I ever did as a resident. I mean, this was, so we had, for us, it was for, for, for men coming in, right? I couldn't, can I, can I talk about this stuff? It's all medical. It's a little I'm bit sure, graphic, yeah. it's all medical. <laughs> so they can, some people cannot get erections or cannot get full erections, right? We can help with that. And you know, you come out of inpatient rehab after spinal cord injury, we take care of the things first that are the most, most pressing. Get your bowels under control, your bladder, your pain, help you kind of get, you know, your basic ADLs back together as much as we can. 
sexual dysfunction often doesn't get talked about right away, or it's like kind of shy to bring it up, right? I get people who come in like two years later, like, yo, they finally bring it up. They're like, let's talk about this. You can try Viagra and Cialis, like those TV commercials, but it doesn't always work, right? So we have this clinic in uh, Shirley Ryan where we're doing a residency. Actually, Sanford VA has it too. You do injections, valprostadol, right? Like a prostaglandin directly into the penis. This is a video, right? I'm going to show this. Directly into the penis. You show, you, you, you show them how to do it. It's not hard. It's not complicated. No pun intended. It's, you know, um, it's not complicated. Um, and you basically say, all right, man, then, then the lights, you know, I'm not going to be here for a bit. You know, put your phone on private browsing, call your significant, other, whatever you got to do, man. Like, I'll be back in five minutes. We're going to see how it goes. You assess how, how, how the direction is, how firm it is. You might go up on the dose next time. You help them find a good dose. Then you teach them how to do it and they go home. They're, they're getting that part of their lives back again. And it sounds simple, but I've had like patients and they're like the girlfriend was in the room we get back and she's like videoing and out of excitement there wasn't like another guy had his wife was was like we're like okay we got to make sure it starts to go down right because we can't have you have a four hours of erection go see an emergency right it's got to start going down before we let you go the wife's like no man come on keep it going we're like okay relax (laughs) but people are so excited about it and you're the one who's making it happen even for like fertility because that gets affected you have like procedures you can do to make sperm come out a lot of different like there are several different ones vibratory stimulation or the wildest so recto rectal electro ejaculation you put a probe inside rectum a little bit of a little bit of voltage real quick and it helps get sperm emission you time that with a OBGYN. they fertilize the egg the same day they'll come back to you say you helped me have a child mm-hmm. and you didn't think you'd be doing that in pmnr right so yeah. a lot of cool stuff anyway i get very passionate about this and talk too fast i'm sorry it's just that's no, I want, I want students to know what's out there. Yeah, yeah. It's honestly mind-blowing, all of the things that you could do as a physician that specializes in PM&R. And it's just, it's, it's honestly amazing. And sometimes it's like, you know, this is a specialized field, but then again, it's so broad and you can just kind of find what what works with you, what you find enjoyment. And it's like very, very evident that you're very passionate about spinal cord <laughs> injuries, which is, which is awesome. I'm wondering if you, did you go into your residency kind of knowing that you wanted to do a fellowship or was there a point during your residency you were like, you know what, like, I think I want to specialize in something further? I knew I, I thought I wanted to do a specialty. I've always kind of operated about, about like, I like to leave all doors open for myself every step of the way. Like when I tell med, when I talk to med students who are like asking advice about residency, I'm always like, I'm going to give you advice about what's going to happen for you thinking about fellowship or a job, like always thinking about the, not, not the immediate next step, but planning for the step beyond that. Right. Right. Um, and in this case, I, I wanted to make sure that I kept myself like competitive. Like I did research. I did a lot of extracurricular things. I cared about my evaluations a lot um, <clears throat> because I wanted to not leave any doors closed if I decided to do any of these specialties. And um so I thought I might want to do something to be subspecialized. To me, that was like my own protection. Like, because mm. I can, like, as somebody with spinal cord injury, I can do any S, we call SCI for short, any SCI job I can do. And a lot of them, you have, you have to be SCI fellowship trained. You can't just do general PM&R anymore. Okay. But all the PM&R jobs are still open to me. So it opens right. up a lot more, right? And I knew I wanted to get back to California, Southern California, which I did, which is where I'm from and my wife is from. 
So if you're one of those people who knows you want to be in a certain area, then it helps to stack the deck in your favor to make as many job options available as possible. So I was like, I want to try to do that in a something self-specialized, right? Because um, you can do the general specialty or your self-specialty in that area. But then when, why spinal cord? Like That was my first rotation. Very fulfilling. They stayed for a while. I got to go know them really well. And nothing ever hit the same tone. Like, you know, a brain injury, I'm glad people... For the record, I'm not trying to like shit on slam other specialties. For brain injury, I miss talking to the patients and having the connections. It wasn't there as often for me. Um, mm. For stroke, they were they were in and out a little faster than spinal cord injury too. Um, and then for the outpatient things, I know I realized as a student, I don't know if I told you this the first time, you should, I was like, I thought clinic was like super chill. They come in with like one complaint. It's like a focal issue, right? They're healthy enough to be in clinic. And I realized like, no, man, you're prepping, like you're doing your chart review like the night before or early in the morning of, you can't like work any faster, right? You, like your 2.30 is getting there at 2.30, then you're three o'clock, then you're three, right? It's just like, it is what it is. And at the end of the day, you got a stack of notes, right? No, 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 no. I realize inpatient's like, the, you know what? It's like inpatient's great. Yes, sometimes things hit the fan, but in PM&R, patients are by definition stable enough to be in PM&R. <laughs> So it's the beauty of inpatient. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're treating, you're managing diabetes, you're treating infections, you know, all that stuff you can do, right? Like, um, but no one's actively dying on you. So you enjoy the perks of inpatient, the flexibility, the fact that you can work ahead, get your notes done, and, you know, and that when well, five o'clock, 4.30 hits, you know, everything's tied up, you're gone, right? You're out of there. I like that workflow. So I was like, I don't think yeah. I want to do something inpatient. So that plus the SCI kind of just, beautifully stuck together. I'm like, I don't want to do clinic. It's not what I thought it was. That makes sense. So you definitely, I mean, clearly you, you picked this very intentionally <laughs> and at the same time you, you knew what you wanted. So that's, that's, that's great for you. Um, so when, with your spinal cord um, specialty then, uh, obviously that's pretty specialized at this point. Um, so I'm sure that you guys have a bunch of different, um, you know, technology and you spoke to, for example, helping out, um, like erectile dysfunction, for example. And I'm sure that's like, these things are always new uh, technologies and improvements to what we can offer in medicine. So what's, do you have any new and exciting um, developments that you've uh, been excited about lately in, in spinal cord injuries? Yeah, there's there's a ton of PM&R and a ton of and spinal cord injuries too. And um, at, at like Northwestern, Shirley Ryan, more of a PM&R one, like one of my, he, we were residents together now he's an attending he's a uh, james cotton he is like a, he's like one of those he's a genius and he's come up with all these applications and like visual space like gaming to like help gamify um like neuro recovery after strokes for example too so there are a lot of things that happen with vr that they're using and um i'll give you an example for like i, I like gaming uh, <laughs> i mentioned this all right I'm doing a, a simple study now where in patients who have tetraplegia, so their arms and legs are affected. It's hard at that point to, you don't have the dexterity to be able to play like, you know, on a regular controller, right? So we've made a very simple setup where we got um, a controller where the, the, instead of like having to use a joystick, it's like the wheel, the power wheelchair joystick where you put your hand on it and you just move with big, big gross movements, not this fine dexterity of your thumb, right? So you can steer like that. And if you can't use buttons, we have these, these big circular pads. You can just put your hand down. So I just want to see, can we play Mario Kart? No matter what your degree of spinal cord injury, can you play Mario Kart? 
and everybody's been able to and had a blast. I mean, it's a small sample size, just a pilot study. You can't really do much in a single year fellowship, right? It's hard to get meaningful research yeah. at, but um, everyone's able to, and they're having fun. I had this guy who was like 80 something, just laughing, just like smiling. Mm. Uh, it was, it was so cute. And he was like, I haven't driven in years. And he was playing too, and <laughs> laughing every time he crashed into the walls. Um, even if you can't even use your arms or to, to play, they have tip and puff mechanisms where you can you can move your head, right? You can steer like this, blow or breathe in air to be able to control things. So a lot of things out there. We'll see. Uh, I mean, Elon Musk is not making the best splash on Twitter right now, but you know, Neuralink and things like that too to see if that stuff is yeah. going to be able to actually. You know, that stuff is is very hot, and we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. yeah, I think I recently saw, I don't know if it was PM&R related necessarily, but I saw this like interface between like a computer and the human body that's supposed to help you like gain function. And I, I didn't, I didn't read the full t uh, article, but I, from the, the title, right, I think I gleaned that um, essentially the, the interface between the two should help people gain like mobility back just by like, practice, yeah. you know? like your body practicing those movements again. Yes, you're, you're right. There are there are a lot of things that we're on the cusp of right now with trying to be able to bypass the spinal cord by using different sensors and um, like electrostimulation. So in my opinion, PMN already has a lot of hope to begin with. And it just looks like it's going in a direction as technology gets better, we will have more options for people who are functionally impaired. That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love it that you also post on your Twitter, like these little like awesome moments. I know I saw a video of of someone who had a spinal cord injury and then they were playing uh, this video game and it was just so cool. And I could just imagine, uh, I think you mentioned it earlier when you know someone has something devastating happen to them, they were fine and then one moment and then the next moment they are now suffering and Puminar just seems to just really care about the quality of life and is trying to focus on all the aspects around their injury. And the fact that they can play video games with the spinal cord injury is like so cool and you are that person to be leading <laughs> that research and that study <laughs> yeah you hit the nail on the head man P quality of life and like function are like the the hallmarks of this field across all the things i said like outpatient msk yeah. like musculoskeletal or sports or doing inpatient like stroke rehab the common thread is quality of life they'll look at like what what do you want to do right like what is your yeah. goal in life? do you try are you, are you trying to do this like do you just want to ski adapt to skiing do you want to just walk at your granddaughter's wedding come like like we will try to work with what your goals are it's like very human right it's very human i also yeah. love that focus on like giving autonomy back to the person that's that's mm -hmm. probably so important to to them after what's happened to them so yeah i mean you're right, right. yeah it, it's you're right it sounds very simple but even like getting your bowels under control, so that way after spinal cord injury, they're predictable at the same time every day. It sounds very like not sexy, but like the fact that you can know when your bowel movement's gonna be and you're not gonna have the accidents the rest of the day means you can go watch a three hour movie. You can watch like an Avengers, right? Or you can watch the next, um, oh my God, what's that one, the blue, the blue dudes? Um, avatar like the next avatar movie you know like that's like three hours plus movie right yeah that stuff matters yeah. you actually got you're not worried like shoot i think you know yeah yeah no absolutely i remember i was talking to this one puminar doc and they were kind of sharing about how they go about uh just patient interaction and they 
just put it all on the patients. Like what is most important to you? And they let that guide how they're going to manage patient care. Because like you said, two people with the same injury or very similar injury could have different things that matter to them. And I think as PUMINAR docs, the coolest thing about doing that, I mean, I'm saying as a PUMINAR doc, like no, I'm a second year <laughs> med student. But people yes, in the specialty, <laughs> people in the specialty, like the fact that they can work and it's more of a, a team team effort is just, it's so cool. And I think it's one of the biggest attractions of PUMINAR. You, you're absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, the next one's a little bit outside of this this area or this topic that we've been talking about. But I think the next thing that might be a little bit helpful to PUMINAR students nowadays is, um, I'm sure you've heard, but you know, PUMINAR is getting, I think, very competitive in terms of numbers. You know, everything that you've said is what everybody's hearing nowadays, this quality of life and um, I think as like medical students who obviously want to become a doctor, uh, that, that like dream or sense of, you know, wanting to help people get back to their lives and just get back to normal and back to health, essentially, especially with us being DO students, I guess, um, there's a sense of, you know, bringing patients back to health. Um, so with that, um, I know that PMNR is a very attractive specialty because I feel like that's the epitome of being a doctor is you get to work with these people and like rehabilitate them back to what they could be after, you know, the, the opposite, like, you know, the extreme opposite. It's not just a cold, right? Like whatever they've gone through is, you know, kind of on the other spectrum of, of um, what their life was like before. So um, I think with more and more people realizing just how much you can do with that, and then you still get the, the beauty of like long-term relationships that you might get with primary care and things like that. So um, I know that the numbers of applicants have been increasing, especially this past year. Um, how would you recommend that people navigate that um, in this now going forward? And then how do you think the process of applying for PM&R residency has changed over the years? Yeah, good questions. Yeah, like you said, it, it definitely has gotten more competitive. There was like, somebody made a, took the data from the last match and showed that like, there were like four specialties that are like sharply increasing. Mm -hmm. It was like PM&R, Durham, and I forget like a couple other ones, right? Like, EM had like a really rough time yeah. <laughs> this last cycle. Um, so yeah, that does get more stressful. It's like, you have to be more deliberate about, about your application and strategic. And like I said, I, I try to be very practical with my advice for things. I feel like sometimes people say things that are over-optimistic and like, they're already there. So it's easy to be like, just follow your dreams, your passion. <laughs> like, eh, yeah, yeah, like, like yeah, that's, 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 that's great. That doesn't mean <laughs> jack to anybody. Like, yeah, follow your dreams, but also like, um, you have to think, I also think ahead, right? You have to think, you know, as a med student, before it's application time, think I'm going to be building an application already because the things you do in the first half of your med school experience are things that are going to be on the application. So some things are broadly applicable. Volunteerism, research, PM&R doesn't need PM&R specific research. It looks nice if you do, but as long as you show your interest in PM&R in another way, it, you don't have to have it. They'll appreciate that you were just doing something. And they know, they know you keep it committed from like day one, right? I had a ton of derm research on my application because um, all the things I was thinking about doing, that was the most competitive and derm wants derm research. Um, so yeah, you have to simultaneously be able to check every box on there. You got to check some kind of volunteerism. You got to check some kind of research stuff. You got to check some kind of leadership thing. Leadership you can do whether it's being the head of an interest group at your school, joining a specialties like 
they have like a medical student council for AAP, AA Physiatry, one of the, you know, the organizations. Um, I think they also have like a, you can give like a journal club, like you, you can volunteer to do that. There are things you can do if you look within the organ, the big organizations of any specialty you want to go into, right, to get that, that kind of leadership as stuff. Um, so you have to check those boxes, but you also need to like really excel at something because you got to find, you got to think of something that's going to make you unique too, right? It's kind of sucks. You have to do everything and then do something really well also, if you really want to try to make it as comfortable of an application or as, you know, stack the deck in your favor. I'm all about just trying to do everything you can to look as good as possible. I mean, um, so assuming that you've done those basic things, you got to find some way that something that sets you apart. It's better to pick something that like, you got to think your you, your your application when they read your statements got to have some kind of theme for who you are. Um, whether it's something some people would take their prior experience in life. You know, most people are non traditional now. Non traditional is like the new traditional. If you can find a way to weave that into what you do, it's nice to be able to make a thread. I know that's a little bit ambiguous and vague, but if you're early enough in med school right now, think about satisfying these criteria criteria kind of quote unquote of research leadership volunteerism in such a way that there's a bit of a thread. Like if you think PMNR volunteered to be an adaptive sports referee at some local league right and then you've had thinking about this kind of like disability you've had this thread early on um you can do a simple study about like patient dispositions if they were they if they got therapy or they didn't or their dispositions how many of them ended up going home right? you can kind of color it's not everything has to match perfectly but if you have several ways to draw a theme in your statement and to portray like, okay, this person really kind of seems like they've had this mindset of the specialty for a few years now, that'll make you look better. Not to scare you if you know you like PM&R or specialty late, that's still okay. You got just a little bit of more last, last minute work. Is that kind of what you were getting at or can I answer a better way? That's, I think that was a, a good answer. And if you don't mind me asking, um, in terms of your like experience, what were some things that you did perhaps? Like, where did you volunteer maybe? Or um, what, uh, what leadership did you find yourself attracted to? Um, or even in, even in terms of research, I, I don't, I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the past, PMNR hasn't been necessarily a very like research focused specialty. So um, even along those lines, like what would you maybe recommend going forward? I know you said that, you know, any research, but um, if we had our choice, <laughs> where, where should we direct those focuses? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, I'll answer every part of it. So um, as, for, as for what kind of research that is PM&R-esque, if you're at a place that doesn't have any PM&R at all, you can still do PM&R-ish research. Like the example I gave, which would be like, doing a retrospective study. In general, retrospective studies are easy to do as a student because you have limited time. You can't do like a prospective study in IRB, right? It's like IRB and everything. You don't have that much time. Um, you can just do like data, like data collection from chart review and just look at like, see if there's some risk factor or something that you think might have affect like patient outcomes in some kind of functional way or their disposition. And just do a chart review and some basic statistical analysis to see is there a relationship there? Um, that is PM&RS research because you're caring about this kind of, you know, or if, if you, um, you can see how things affect mood. You can always use PHQ-9, you know, for depression or a GAD, you know, the generalized anxiety disorder surveys are already validated. And you can see how patients who have certain um, musculoskeletal injuries or, or whatever, or like a neuropathies, you know, they're very simple things. You're not really necessarily trying to land in the front page of JAMA. You're trying to present that at a poster either locally at your school or at a national conference um, 
so that you get practice with these kinds of things too as you as you do bigger and better research in the future if it's what you want to do and also to show that you're thinking, you have that mindset and to show you're thinking about the specialty you kind of want to do multiple things all together if possible um and as for like PMNR is not so big in research, you know, I think it's because I'm in academic places, like the big academic center, like Northwestern, Shirley Ryan, it's very research heavy. All the residents there, like they don't ask us, we just do it and we bite off more than we can chew. So there actually is a lot. It's just, you gotta be at a place that's like a, a PMNR place. If you don't have a program or a department there, then it's really like, it's kind of almost all or nothing. And that once that's where you gotta be a little bit more creative with doing some PMNR research, like I said. Um, what were the other parts of your question? I want to make sure I answer it well. I think one of them was also um, with your recommendations, and clearly you've been you've gone above and beyond. I mean, you're at you were at um, Northwestern, Shirley Ryan, all that. So um, just maybe your experiences in terms of like leadership and things like that. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Um, so I I took a, I took a gap year. I realized that that's not something everybody can do. It costs money. It's one less year you're making money and you got to pay for your living somehow. During medical school? Yeah, actually at UCLA, a ton of people did. Like a, like a third of like our class did that too. Um, that affords you a little bit more time to be able to bolster your application a bit, but it's, it's not fair. And not everybody has the means to do that. And I just want to acknowledge that too. Um, but during med school, I like things that kind of worked yes I, I i've um i volunteered we had like the mobile uh, a clinic that like sort of patients didn't who were not insured the kind of like a homeless clinic and they had a lot of musculoskeletal injuries that i tried to jump in on and tell them can i help see these ones in particular mm -hmm. um we uh i we had this thing where graduates uh, where um graduate students could get cbt like cognitive behavioral therapy trained to do um therapy for their peers it was like a peer program I did that with my so with one cool. of my friends and we saw other grad students who had depression or anxiety and we had kind of this program that we learned to administer with them in regular sessions and then when you're writing your personal statement and hey i like that i always said i i like i liked a lot of aspects of psychiatry too and i found a lot of them in pmnr um and you find a lot of them in psychiatry too or, sorry in, in spinal cord injury too um I mean, how that works, it's like, it was very easy to say, at least, I mean, these are things that are going to be extremely useful in PMNR. The techniques that I learned to, to interview patients and to motivate them are going to be extremely useful. So you can relate a lot of this stuff and it made it unique. A lot of people remember that I did that CBT stuff, which is why I say like things that are a little bit unique and relate to the specialty really make you memorable and kind of make them see this person gets it. They kind of get the mantra of the specialty. That's what you're trying to convey if you're, you know, trying to stack the deck in your favor as much as possible. But then also on a side note, do something, do something that's just completely unrelated. It's like nothing at all. Like, and, and, and when you're applying for the fun things you do, don't be shy. Just list shit. Like <laughs> I, I, I play musical instruments. I, I you know, I, I like doing Spartan races. I like in, you know, bouldering, like climbing. All that stuff I listed and somebody every time had something they identified with and they were like, oh, I'm a classical music fan. I grew up playing piano too, whatever it was. And the, the, this, the conversation went great in interviews because you connect in some way. So just go to town and list all those non-related things you do. You can't be a robot and make everything have a purpose, right? No, those are like really good examples. And I think um, those will be really inspiring for the people that are listening to this, including us. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, no, that was honestly a lot of great insight. And um, there's clearly like so much that we have to 
do to just make ourselves as competitive as possible. But I, I know that you would have like you have a lot to say about this. Uh, the importance of having hobbies. You mentioned a few of them. I know you have your own YouTube channel. You mentioned you play a lot of video games, which I think is so cool. Um, <laughs> do you have any advice for people that are trying to find that balance between you know? you want to push themselves as hard as they can to make themselves as competitive as possible. But then um, on the flip side, you still need to keep those things that, that keep you happy and sane and, you know, just your outlet. Yes, I do. I was thinking, you know, you, you ran this one by me before, which I appreciate. I gave this one some thought because I thought this one was the kind of the trickiest one. Um, my advice is this, unfortunately at the end of the day, like, Okay, the first thing, the first priority is your mental health. If med school is taking a toll on your physical and mental well-being, find a therapist, talk to a psychologist, mm -hmm. talk to like, like that is the most important above all. But then after that, if you are doing okay from that standpoint, then it's got to be academics. Like it, it sucks, but this is kind of what you signed up for. It's got to be academics. Um, you can't be like, I want to have equal parts academic and I also got to go get lit every, you know what I mean? Like you got to kind of like scale back on some of that fun stuff because you know, for the commitment. Everybody knows that it's pretty intuitively obvious. But what I would say is this, out of all the things you like doing for fun that are not related at all to academics and making your application look good, I would prioritize the one that involves physical activity. That's my first thing. You can you got to take care of your body. You're going to be in it right. To me, that's huge for your physical health and your mental health. That'll still be something you can show that's a fun activity that shows you're a well-rounded person, but it has a perk of really being good for your physical and mental health. I would prioritize that, right? If I got to not go to Smash Bros. Melee tournaments anymore, but I have to go to, if I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to pick gym. That's, so that's one thing. Um, the second thing is you got to, I, I like, I think it's good to be creative with ways to try to optimize your time. Like back to the theme of being practical, I like to really like, Forgive me for this. In, and if you guys are familiar, in, in, in gaming, there's a thing called speed running. It's seeing how fast you can beat a game from beat a game. It's just seeing how fast, right? And they do a lot of things to optimize. Everything has a deliberate purpose, right? Sometimes I, I think of my life in a weird way like that at times, especially if I'm studying for my board exam, where I really try to be like make use of everything. So every every little part has a purpose, right? Um, so what I mean by that is like at the at the gym, like when I have my board exam, in order to free up time for me to be able to be sane as well, um, and if you can tolerate it, I, I listen to audio lectures. I actually converted video lectures I used like you know, into an audio file so I could listen to it then or during my carpool. When I get a study bank, I get the one that has an app because I want to be able to just quickly do a few at a time because they add up real quick when you're waiting at a register or whatever it is. I try to optimize, and that's like this, uh, this stupid speed running analogy. I try to optimize things a lot to shave off time. So that way I'm very efficient and I try to get rid of that like wasteful downtime. So that way I can just be like, okay, I can just kick it for a few hours after work and I don't have to feel guilty about it because I already used, I already, already made that time up. But, you know, filling in the cracks, just all those little things in between that really get to me. And for that reason too, I'd say, person people don't like to live too close to where they work sometimes they want to separate work and their you know, and their home life i lived uh, two blocks away from residency i don't give a shit i mean i, I the, <laughs> fact, the fact that like i spent 30 minutes less each way as an hour more of my life to sleep in or gym or mm -hmm. kick it every day i like being close to where i am because to me it's not yeah. an issue i'd rather have that time to, to do what something relaxing than to be commuting so 
that that's Love that's that. how I think you should you should that's how I'd recommend you strategize your time and your priorities. Yeah, Those are great. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I can like I can see my med school from my window. Like I, it's, I'm that close, and I'm a big <laughs> proponent of trying to save as much time as possible to free up as much time as possible. So I, I, I get the other I get the other point of view. I do, but even then, like as a student, I had a rotation that was two hours away in LA traffic. It was miserable. During, during that month, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stay there, do my study yeah. there, and then leave when all the traffic died down, like, you know, later in the evening. And that net, that saved me net time. So that's the kind of thing I mean. Be strategic about that. I yeah. love that. That's smart. Actually, I mean, you're giving us great tips here. You're, I mean, we're really set up for success after this. Um, but on that note, I think uh, me and you should both notice, actually, that um, you are very big on mentoring and, um, we were just wondering kind of what got you into that and what makes you passionate about that as well. Because like you said, I mean, it's a busy field and not everybody's necessarily open or, um, willing to do that. Um, it is a time commitment and, um, things like that. So just what got you into that and why are you necessarily, uh, wanting to mentor other students? Yeah, well, I, 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 uh... Things might look different when I have my full-time job starting September and then, you know, like kids down the line. But um, I still always like doing this. My question is, how, how do you come out of medical school like not wanting to help somebody else? After you went through all that crap, how do you come out just being like, I don't want to help anybody? Like, yeah. you know how many people helped you to get there? Do you know what a baby you were sucking at the teeth of your attendings and then like your res residents? You know how many residents were like babying me to help when I was starting off? Rightfully yeah. so, because that's what you that's what you do, right? Everybody deserves that. How do you not want to pay that forward? And to me, it's super gratifying to, to be able to help somebody at like, like, are you just dead inside? Like, like what the hell? To me, it's like, why would you not want to help mentor people? I get time as a limitation too, but as long as a student reaches out respectfully i think it's always you, you guys it's funny, you guys can call me sean it's fine um but as long as somebody reaches out and they say hey dr dryer and there's some, something nice like hey i don't want to take up too much of your time i would really as long as it's something respectful like that maybe it's just i don't look at i'm i'm persian i'm half persian so I, you know the culture of like having manners and you know we have this thing called tarof which is basically like no you know i'll pay no 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 you just stare at it, like kind of like as long as they have a little bit of that i'm just like of course man like of course, I'll be happy to chat with you and talk to you about it too. So as long as you have some manners, I'm like, of course, I'm going to help you out. One, one dude just said like, hi, <laughs> I need advice. And I was like, on Twitter, I was like, dude, like, come on, man. you got to like, you got to try a little bit. Like, oh, that's what I was going to ask you too, that like, you're saying like, as long as you're respectful. And I'm like, I wonder why you have to specify that, but that's, I guess that's a good example of how not to necessarily present yourself as, please help me, but um, yeah, actually, generally, generally people are, somebody was like, I needed to read my personal statement and my CV, like not even like, I was just like, bro, <laughs> like, oh man, yeah, that's, communication skills, um, yeah, actually, honestly. random point, I, I, you mentioned that you're half Persian, and I was actually curious about that, because I had seen that you are fluent in Farsi, and that's not necessarily a common language, and so I was like, what, what's that about? <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a little joy I've had in my life, is like surprising people who are Persian when I start speaking Farsi, they're just like so shocked, <laughs> it like never gets old for me, it's so funny, and then they're, they're all like, and people are like, you're Persian? I'm like, 
oh, what, do I not look Persian? And they're all like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. I'm like, I'm just messing. I'm just messing. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that trend, but there's like, like there's, there's like a social media trend where it's like, oh, you don't look, you know, X, Y, Z thing. And it's like, oh, sorry, let me just bust out. And then it's like fully stereotypical, whatever that thing is. I and know, I know, I know. <laughs> that's that. <laughs> I always, now we have a video. I always joke and self-deprecating humor is like the only safe humor you can do. I remember the person, I'm like, yeah, dude, like, like, look how much hair I have on my arm and like, look how it's like not where I need it to be. It's like where I don't need it to be. <laughs> oh, that's I love that. Yeah. I know I was surprised too when he told me, but I mean, it's just... you can't love that. You and your perfect ass hairline. Don't give me that. <laughs> hey, hey, I, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I get the arm hair thing too. <laughs> we can grow oh, a good beard. That's that's one good thing. You know, eventually, if the hair does fall out, at least I can like you know have a beard and try to be like a beard. Yeah. The bald and like yeah, that's a look. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, I'm, I'm, the Rogaine's try, man. It's just not holding on enough. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. Oh, man. I mean, we we took, I think, like an hour of your time. This was honestly so much fun and, and amazing. Uh, we might have to do a part two, honestly, because <laughs> I feel like we can talk forever. But uh, we really, really do appreciate your time and all your advice and um, is there anything that you want to do? Shout out your Twitter, your YouTube channel. Is there any last words you want to say? Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Just don't forget what it was like being a student and don't forget it was like being an intern or resident. Like, remember that something, once you speak that second language of your specialty and subspecialty, things sound obvious. Just remember that fear you had and the panic you had and how somebody just said something and it escaped your mind right away and you were nervous. Don't forget that. Remember their stomach, let them eat, ask if they ate, ask how they're doing. Just don't forget what that felt like and don't take shit out on them in the future. Just be kind and pay it forward and influence somebody else to do the same thing. That, that's all I want to say. It's like retain your humanity despite the burn, inevitable burnout. Retain that on the young, fresh person. Don't put that on them already. That's beautiful. As the youngins, we appreciate that advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll man. definitely pay it forward thank you for that all right guys yeah, uh, enjoy talk, talking with you that hour flew by yeah 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 awesome well thank you again uh we'll we'll wrap it up here let me just